Welcome to the Creative Curmudgeon, where the intellectual elite discuss creativity and other important matters. Today, we will be having a discussion with Mugabe Bianchia. Mugabe is a Uganda based writer of prose, poetry, comics, essays, drama, and songs. Their many works include the excellent novel Dear Philomena and the recently released mixtape entitled Songs for Women 2, which was released on Hello America Stereo Cassette. I'm delighted to have them on this podcast, and I'm delighted for you, dear listener, because you have a treat in store. Cortisol floods through my arterioles when you call. Suicide stays running through my mind when you call. Hello, sir, madam, person. This is 911. No, this is Mugabe, your brother, sister, friend, lover, support system. I really should be paid for this, but I'm not. Emotional labor is like a full-time job, but it's not. No paid time off, no sick leave, but you can get fired and you can get hired for additional duties and you can get tired, but you can't quit. Well, you can quit, but you can't quit. You say you never give up on people, but you still beat yourself up for giving up on people. Self-care, self-harm. Have you been working on anything lately? Uh, yes, I have. Um, I have been working on a podcast um, that I co-created uh, with um, somebody um, who uses the pseudonym Name Redacted um, because um, we're, the, the, the podcast is everybody who is being interviewed on the podcast also has their own pseudonyms. Uh, to protect their safety. Uh, the podcast is uh, called One Foot in the Closet, and it uh, profiles uh, queer Africans and beyond the binary Africans, whether that be trans, polygender, agender, bigender, or whatever um, gender identity you exist beyond the cisgendered binary, um, who either live in the African continent or are in the diaspora, who live life with one foot in the closet, uh, because one thing that me and my co-creator noticed is that like there's there's a certain whiteness to the narrative of coming out as like a bold declaration of like you know self-love but that's not safe for a lot of people um and my co-creator um is queer and is uh polygender and um we, we were talking and they were um expressing to me that like um they wanted to be able to tell the stories of people who live life with one foot in the closet for safety, but are still able to thrive, you know, like it's not all doom and gloom, because a lot of times when when you think about queer African stories, you think about, you know, um, the killings, um, and like Edwin Chiloba was recently killed here in Kenya, which is terrible. but that's what the spotlight is focused on. Um, and we wanted to show that like, yes, um, there are terrible things happening to queer Africans, but there are also thriving communities despite that. And like, there is like active resistances despite that. Um, and there is like a lot of queer joy despite that. And so uh, we were awarded a grant from the House of African Feminisms. It was called the Queer Encounters in African Feminisms Grant. And so... Uh, We use that to produce the podcast um, and it's all done except for the transcriptions, which I'm currently working on. And then, um, yeah, we can submit it to uh, the funders and it should be out in the next couple months. So really excited about that. But if anyone listening is interested in following us on social media, our Instagram and Twitter handles are at one foot in closet and our Facebook page is one foot in the closet. All right. We'll do. Um, do you have any sort of creative routine? Um, so my creative routine varies and that's because largely of my disabilities, um, which affect my ability to create. 
Um, as of last year, I have got a lot better handle of my disabilities, um, thanks to a uh, new medication uh, that helps me uh, control my seizures a lot better than they used to be controlled. And so as of last year, I established a routine um, where like, but like I tend to work more on like the business side of my creative practice than I do the actual creation side. Um, and like, I've noticed like when I'm like working on like a project, like I work on it like in bits and pieces or I like just like work on it like nonstop until it's done and then like um like um like leave it you know like um to be released into the world and so I don't necessarily have like a consistent creative routine I'm not one of those people who like writes every single day um but I did join this writing circle that one of my friends uh Whitney French uh facilitates and that's actually been an amazing space because we meet every uh, Monday at 2 p.m. my time, which is great, but uh, their time, it's 6 a.m., uh, so they all have to wake up super early, um, but um, the writing circle has been great because, like, it's been a way to, like, establish a more regular creative writing practice because every Monday I know I'm going to write for, like, anywhere from an hour to, to an hour and a half, which is great, um, but in terms of my creative routine, it's very much, it varies depending on my health. Cause like I spent like two years largely bedridden and, and like the simple act of like trying to respond to a text would induce a seizure, you know? And so like, it's like, I can't create an, under those conditions. And so, uh, my health, uh, very much limits my creative routine. And now that I'm in a better health space, um, I'm able to create more regularly, but also, I've been creating and like working on a lot of projects for last year. And so like now I'm more so in the rollout phase. Um, and like, I really, really enjoy like the business side of things as well. And so, um, but with the weekly writing circles that that's my primary creative uh, routine. Otherwise it, it like comes in bits and pieces. Like, I mean, my mixtape that I just recently released like that, like is something that I've been like working on for years and it's like come to me in bits and pieces. And so like, it was just like assembled last year. Um, but like, it's like, I have to like create when I can and when I can't, I have to rest, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I've, I've thought a lot about how there's this like, capitalist sort of like workhorse mentality that a lot of people have towards the sort of thing. There's this quote that uh, I read from Stephen King that fucked with me a few years ago. And it was something about how in order to be a good writer, you have to write for like four to six hours a day, like every day or something like that, which I yeah, get like only Stephen King can afford to do that. Cause he's a millionaire. There's that. <laughs> yeah, no, that there's absolutely that. And also um, like I get like the mentality of like, you know, if you want to be like really great at something to really give it your all, like I get that sentiment, but that's like such like ableist horseshit to like exactly. expect people to like do that that much. Um, and for me, um, one thing, I don't know if this is the case for you, because I know that uh, even your book, how it's like a continued narrative, but how it's in like, you know, little segments and for mm -hmm. me, I found that like what works for me, because like for my own reasons, I can't write every day by a long shot. And so like doing stuff that's like, you know, songs or poems or um, vignettes or something where it's like mm -hmm. you can start and stop it like and then like go a while before doing the next thing possibly or even just like have it be done whenever it's done as opposed mm -hmm. to like writing this really like long work and then like having to do it consistently so that you don't like lose like a flow or whatever. And then like mm -hmm. it being like really defeating if you don't finish it. Um, so mm -hmm. that's what's worked for me. I'm curious if, is that like been your experience as well? That has definitely been my experience as well, because uh, so when I was working on my book, um, you might've noticed that I mentioned writing a book in the book. 
Mm-hmm. And the, the book that I mentioned that I was writing is actually not uh, Dear Philomena. A lot of people think that like it was like a meta thing where I was like, oh, like I'm writing the book within the book. But it was actually another book that like I started writing at like 14, 15 and like have been like sporadically like chipping away at ever since. But like I got to the point where like I didn't outline it well. Um, and I got to the point where I got stuck and I didn't know where to go. Um, and so I basically put it on hiatus and now I've actually found like where to go and like, I'm like going to work on it at a later point when I'm less busy. Um, but like that experience taught me that I needed to make writing accessible to me and I needed to make writing accessible to readers as well, because like I'm writing for a disabled audience, right? Um, that's who my work is for for and that, that and that's who it's intended for um i'm trying to like move the center as tony, as tony morrison put it you know um and the accessibility has always been very very important to me and that's why i structured dear philomena the way i did with the text messages and the social media posts and that the diary entries and the back and forth because like that was an accessible text for me to create at the time when i was dealing with um the, the ramifications of my strokes and it's also an accessible text to read because like I've had people tell me that like they haven't been able to read um, any conventional book in years and Dear Philomena was the first book that they were able to read you know which is like a massive compliment but that also shows that like what I set out to do which was create an accessible piece of literature to people who are neurodivergent to people who are disabled people who um, are of all varying different abilities um that it worked um and so definitely it has been my experience as well that like creating in those bits and pieces and creating in ways that are accessible to both me and my audience um and like making sure that like I like never try to like like control or like dictate how my audience um takes in my work for example I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and they were telling me um that like they like you know who are dealing with really bad brain brain fog and they uh were trying to listen to my mixtape but they could only really take in one song at a time and I was like oh I completely feel you because like when I was like dealing with like really really bad brain fog like I couldn't listen to a full album you know because it was too much and so like I could listen to singles and so I was like I was like take it in one song at a time like like take in one song every week like listen to it in the way that is accessible to you. Like, I'm never going to try to dictate how any piece of my work should be taken in because, like, I have, like, had to find ways to, like, take in things that are more accessible to me. And so it's like, why would I do that to others? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, just so I'm just so I'm understanding correctly, you're saying that people that weren't able to read um, were more so able to read um, your book because of the way it was written, it was easier? Or yes, is there another way? Yeah. Exactly. Because of the way it was written. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've, I've, I was also thinking since it, it was written in the format of like text messages and whatnot, I, it, it made me think that like maybe all the texts that I've sent over the last like 20 years, like that was just like me practicing like writing in a way and how like that's like that's an undervalued way to like practice your craft that people just assume is just like this throwaway thing I thought that was interesting no 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 exactly like texting is a form of writing social media posts is a form of writing twitter is a form of writing like facebook instagram captions you know like they're all valid forms of writing but like they're denigrated as like you said Stephen King with the whole oh like four to six hours every day which is like like that's like ableist that's elitist that's classist that's like so many things but like all of these um are forms of writing and all of them are ways to work on your craft and to work on like a lot of times like whenever i text with people people are like oh my god like 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 the way like you text like is like nobody like um i've texted with before like you're so eloquent with your texts and i'm like you know like thank you uh, but like, also like, like, I like try to like, put like, a lot of like, um, my craft into like, just like a simple text message, you know, because like, it like, 
is a form of writing. At the end yeah, of the just day. like where you put a period even or just, you know, exactly thing, things like that. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Um, how like what's the journey been like as far as being disabled is concerned that like led you to the system you're at now? Do you feel like talking about like the trial and error beforehand? Uh, yeah, sure. It's been a lot of trial and error. So I had my first stroke when I was nine years old um and the doctors initially didn't really know what to do with me because I was a child and I had a stroke and like you know like most people who have strokes are like 65 plus have been smoking for like 50 years you know like all those risk factors did not apply to a nine-year-old child um and so that stroke completely paralyzed the right side of my body and uh I went through a lot of healthcare. um got put on blood thinners and um later got put on a muscle relaxant which helped with my spasticity and then I was in like nine years of intense physical therapy which really helped but it also sort of trained me on how best to pass as able-bodied which in hindsight I'm realizing was like a negative influence because like the physical therapists were like working on my gait and working on like my arm and working on like the you know uh, paralyzed uh, parts of my body but they were also trying to make me move in a way that like I could present as able-bodied so that people wouldn't know. Um, whereas like now I'm proud to be disabled, but like I was in the closet about being disabled for a long, uh, f- when like I got to the ability, when I got to the um, point in time where I was able to pass, like I went straight into the closet as far as being disabled because like I was like ashamed of it um and like it took like years and it took therapy um um i'd like to shout out my therapist um he unfortunately passed away in 2019 but he was amazing uh dr phillips he helped me unpack a lot of like my like conceptions about disability and inferiority because i had a lot of like i am inferior because i am disabled which is not true and which i'm now you know like come to realize is not true um but the physical therapist and the way physical therapy is like practiced is just it's it's like it's not in I w- I really wish there were more disabled physical therapists I really wish there were more di- physical therapists who understood what it was actually like to be um, disabled and to go through the things that we go through um, because like we have to like modify and um, change so much in our lives and. I feel like the goal to pass as able-bodied is not a goal that should be worked towards. Um, And so after, what's it called, my first stroke, I had like nine years of improving health. um, And like, um, I was in physical therapy and then went off to university. um, What's it called? Uh, Continued like on my same healthcare program um and like people would ask about like my hand and my leg and like I'd like always like get uncomfortable around questions like that because people would be like all the time like oh what's up with your hand what's up with your leg and like it's like first of all like an invasive question but like (laughs) also like 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 you can clearly see that like you know like um there's like some like some form of like spasticity going and like there's like a way that like you could approach this question like in like a far like gentler way than like and like even a kinder way than just saying like what's up with your hand and leg you know uh but I get but but I got that so many times and I was I I got so tired of like having to like explain like my disabilities over and over again to people I remember one time honestly um I told one of my friends about it and he was like oh my god that's amazing like um what a great story like um because he worked for the university um, like newspaper and he was like, we should like do a story on you. And like, then like the ball got rolling on the story and I was terrified because I didn't want like the whole school knowing that I was like survived a stroke when I was nine years old because like I was ashamed of it, you know? Um, And so like uh, when the interview time came, like in hindsight, I should have just said like, I don't want to do the interview because I had the right to. But like, I felt like I had to because like it was like already booked and like they already had the photographer and the reporter and everything. And so I was like terrified. And so I was like, I I need to come up with something 
that like is more enticing of a story than my stroke. And so I told her um, that, um, what's it called? I am the leader of my clan in um, Uganda because uh, my dad was the leader of the clan before me. And when he passed away, he passed on the like uh, title of being his heir to me. And so then they wrote a whole story about that, which also made me uncomfortable because I don't like talking about that. And I don't like the attention that I received because of that. But like it was safer than like revealing my stroke. And so like that just goes to show like how terrified I was of people finding out. And then when I turned 22, I had two more strokes and those affected me significantly and in completely different ways than the first one did. Those gave me a chronic pain condition, uh, a chronic fatigue condition and a seizure disorder. And then my life was completely upended because then I couldn't, um, even though like I physically could pass as able-bodied because these disabilities weren't like visible, um, apart from like the spasticity on my right hand and my right leg, um, like I couldn't function um, in the ways that I used to, because I used to be like a workaholic. Like I was like, you know, like full-time I, I, I like I was doing two degrees at the same time. Um, I was working part time. I was, you know, like extracurriculars. I was like, you know, like a workhorse. Um, and then due to my diminished capacity, I wasn't able to do that anymore. And that like caused an identity crisis because I was like, I put so much of my self-worth into my work. And so what was I without work? You know, what was I when I was just laying on my sister's couch watching Netflix? because that was all I could do. Cause if I tried to do anything else, I'd have a seizure. You know, what was I when like, I like reeked because I hadn't showered in weeks and I mu- mustered up the energy to take a shower and the energy expenditure of having that shower caused me to have a three hour seizure, you know, like what did that make me? Um, and that was very, very, very difficult to grapple with. Um, and my health since my strokes had been incredibly volatile from like 22 until just last year, um, is when things like stabilized enough, thanks to the new medication that I mentioned earlier and the new physical therapy regimen that I'm on, like things were super volatile. Like it was like a boom bust cycle where I'd be like super, super productive and like, you know, like doing things and then I'd crash for like days. And then like, I'd be back up and doing things and then crash for days. And like, part of it was the doctors kept on telling me that like, you can work a 40 hour work week if you push yourself. And so I pushed myself, I pushed myself for years. I talk about this on the mixtape, push myself for years, push myself. Uh, and like, I, but like my body was telling me that it couldn't handle anything more than 20 hours, but like the doctors were telling me something different. And I was like, like, who is right? My body or the doctors? And I listened to the doctors for a long time. Um, but like, I just kept on crashing and the crashes just like, like knocked me out of commission, like a largely bedridden, ridiculous amounts of pain, uh, having seizures every day. And like the crashes used to be for days, then they turned into for weeks, then they turned into for months. And then like, I had that crash for like two years from 2020 to 2022 which was like terrible. Uh, But like now I'm in a better place health wise. I got COVID in October, uh, which like just exacerbated all my existing disabilities um, and like made me basically crash for two months. Um, Are you you at, um, I'm sorry to interrupt. I was just curious. Are you at higher risk for like more severe illness from that? Um, Higher risk in terms of? Like, Like getting COVID. Oh, yeah, 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 uh, definitely. And so that's, I've, I've, I actively like, and was successfully able to avoid it for the past two years. I got it for the first time in October. Um, and like, it just exacerbated all my existing disabilities. And I was like, better than for two months. Um, and like seizures, pain, fatigue, and like, a simple act is like responding to a text would induce a seizure. And like, it's just like, I had made so much progress with my health that like having this setback was just such a huge blow to me. Um, but like, and then I had long COVID, uh, but like now I'm on the, ro- on the road to recovery to that. And like, I'm like making progress, which is great. 
but yeah, it's just been it, it's been a whirlwind of a journey health wise, honestly. Um, and yeah, it's just it's been a lot of ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs. But like whenever I'm up, I'm just like I try to like um, I, I used to try to do as much as I could because I didn't know when the next crash would come. But now I've learned that like if I pace myself. And if I like regulate my activity, I can ultimately do more by doing less each day. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awful that you experienced all of that for, for so many years. I, I giggled because of just how I've seen firsthand, like the audacity of people to go up and then just like ask extremely invasive questions, just like willy Exactly. So once you started writing, um, I'm curious about how you started going about getting your stuff into the world or even like, you know, the business stuff that you talked about earlier, like what that has entailed. So I like wrote uh, creatively, like since childhood, you know, uh, but like that was always just like for fun, um, like I'd write poetry, I'd like make these little comics, I'd, uh, write short stories. Um, and, um, I had a lot of fun doing that. Um, and then when I went to university, uh, I started rapping and that was a lot of fun making music videos with my friends and making music with my friends. Um, but that was all my public facing. Uh, and then secretly I had a blog that I didn't share with anyone, uh, where I'd put all my creative writing on and like, it was just like, to like put it out there into the universe but like not like publicly actually share it with anyone uh because i was still scared um and like i'd perform at like open mics and like i would do like spoken word poetry but i wouldn't invite any of my friends and they'd like all get super like angry at me they'd be like why, why didn't you tell us you're performing and it's like because i'm like i was like scared you know and like shy to like you know like put myself out there um and like the strokes honestly shifted things for me because um I was like in the environmental sciences I was a research assistant I was I was like did like a co-authored like academic journal article and like I was on that path to like do like um environmental science work and like research work um but then that was no longer accessible to me thanks to the strokes and the doctors told me that I wasn't gonna make it to see my 24th birthday and that was when I was like like if like I die and like I, I at least did an attempt to write um, like like Childhood Mugabe would be ashamed of me mm-hmm. because like Childhood Mugabe was like, I want to be an author when I grow up, you know, like that was what I told everybody, like I'm going to be an author when I grow up. And like I went down the safer path of the sciences because like I, I, I love the sciences like and like, you know, like people can, can have multiple interests. But like also because like, you know, like fin- uh, a career in the arts is not like the most financially stable career. Uh, like I'm, I love I love with my mom, you know, like I'm not, you know, exactly balling. Um, but like um, the near death, ex- I mean, the, the, the impending like death looming over me really like lit a fire under me to like be like, oh, okay, I should start writing. So then I started a blog, a public one where I would share my writing and like, put it on like social media and like people were like really resonating with it. Um, and then um, I started uh, submitting my writing around to some publications. I got um, longer listed for this award, which was amazing. And then I was like, okay, like this is like giving me like validation and like, you know, like, um, like other people actually like really like resonate with my work. And then I started working on the book um, and the business side of things, honestly, like, I didn't expect to be um, for it to come as naturally as it did. But I think I owe a lot of that to the way that I was raised because my dad died when I was 13 um, and um, was raised by a single mom since then. And my mom uh, was an entrepreneur, not by choice, but because she we moved back home to Uganda because we had been prior to that living um, in um, what's it called? Uh, Cambodia because of my dad's job. Um, And we moved back home to Uganda, which was like never really a home to me because it was like always a place that like I went to on summer break. But like because of my dad's job, we moved around a lot. And 
um, I'd never really lived in Uganda. Um, and so I moved back home and my mom, um, what's it called, decides to start a restaurant because she was like, at least if I start a restaurant, I know my kids will never go hungry because there'll always be food. And so she was thinking in practical sense of like, you know, like maybe the restaurant will, you know, like bring money and like be successful. But like my primary uh, aim is to feed my children. Um, and when she was doing her restaurant, um, she because my father was the one in charge of the family's finances and she left a lot of that to me because she was like, you're good at math. You're like your father, even though I was 13. Like I was like applying for loans on her behalf. I was like, you know, like handling her taxes. And so like I was like groomed to be like an entrepreneur at a young age, even though like I didn't really consciously realize it uh, because like I like always like never really thought of myself as going into business. But like because of the way that I was raised, um, I guess I'm naturally inclined towards it. Um and so the business side of things, um, honestly, like it, it, it like I sort of forced myself to because I'm my own booking agent, I'm my own publicist, like I booked this interview, you know, like um, like I'm my own manager. And that's because I realized early on uh, after I published my first book and I hired a publicist because uh, um, my first book was funded through a Kickstarter, but it was like through like a tiny little independent press um, and hired a publicist through the Kickstarter money. And the publicist was like, wow, you're like booking all these interviews. This is amazing. And I was like, why aren't you booking any interviews? Like, why aren't you doing your job that I paid you for? And like that taught me to never uh, work with anybody who could not do the job better than I can. And so I decided I was like, I'm going to do things on my own because like I can like push myself and I can like try and learn as best I can to like um, do the publicist, do the booking agent, do the management. And like I've been successful at it so far, which I'm grateful for. Um, but like it, it, it's been a lot of trial and error. And it had, and it's been a lot of work, um, but um, yeah, I just like made that policy clear that like I'm not working with anybody who is not better at the job than I am. Yeah, I ask about uh, all that business stuff because, like, yeah, I'm still trying to like kind of figure out. I I have a couple of decades worth of experience of like playing in bands and mm -hmm. trying to get albums out there and playing shows and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like there's a very simple trajectory for like what to do with uh, your stuff. Like once you make it, and I'm still kind of trying to figure that out with, uh, with writing and whatnot. Um, yeah, no, it's tricky. And there's a lot of trial and error involved in the process. Cause like, for me, like once I like, you know, like for example, like with the interviews, like um, I noticed that like, whenever I did an interview and I posted about it on social media, more people would buy my book because it adds credibility, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and like, I was like, oh, okay. So that means I should try to do as many interviews as possible because this will only help my bottom line at the end of the day. Um, with the touring, that significantly helped sell books because um, I was able to like actually like perform and like actually like, sell physical copies to the audiences that I was performing at right and it like also helped me like gain credibility as like a touring artist and as a performer um on both like touring North America helped me in East Africa because then people are like whoa you toured North America that's huge touring East Africa help me in North America because then there people are like you toured East Africa that's huge and so like both feed into each other you know and like these are all things that I've learned like over the years of just like trial and error and trying things and like seeing what sticks um but like I would love to like work with like a team of people who like I would love to have like an agent or a manager but like I'm only taking that opportunity if the person 
can do the job better than I can. And now that I've done the job for so long, I feel like I'll be able to better suss out like who like, you know, like can actually do the job better than I can. Because like I've had people proposition me and be like, oh, I want to be your manager. And I'm like, what managing experience do you have? And they were like, well, I booked a gig for a friend of mine at a coffee shop and it was unpaid. And I was like, like I've booked like over like 80 paid gigs on my own. Like, why would I hire you? Yeah. Like you're just trying to, <laughs> you're just trying to ride my coattails at this point. Um, I'm curious about you because by performing live, you're specifically referring to like spoken word type stuff. Yeah. As opposed to like your past, like rapping and whatnot. Exactly. Exactly. As experiences playing, like performing music, there's people in the back if you're performing somewhere and they're just like, you know, eating dinner or whatever, or just like talking amongst themselves, mm-hmm. looking at their phone and whatnot. And mm-hmm. that being just like a really jarring experience as somebody who is like playing like loud music and still like that being like present. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine it's like even harder when you're just like saying stuff. Um, did that like mold mm-hmm. how you write, how you perform, etc.? Definitely, definitely. Um Because, like, it's hard when you're, like, playing to a crowd of people who, like, didn't ask for a performance, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Like, if you're, like, playing at, like, a, like, restaurant or, like, you know, like, like, um, because, like, I I played, like, a show in Topeka, Kansas, which was at a restaurant um, where they hosted these, um, like, poetry nights. Um, And... Like a lot of the people there were just there to have dinner. They didn't want to see the performance, you know? And so it's like, how are you, how are you going to win over an audience who want nothing to do with you? And so that definitely like changed um, the way that I perform um, because I had to learn how to like utilize comedy, how to utilize um, what's it called? Um, Like very, very my delivery um how to um like involve the audience in the performance call and response like all these things that i like learned on the road um because like it's so much easier when you're playing to a receptive audience who all came to see a poetry event and who are all there for that Mm -hmm. but when you're playing to an audience who like are just out for dinner and did not, you know, expect this poetry thing to be there, um, winning them over. Um, and sometimes you don't, you know, a lot of times you don't, and that's fine. Um, but like, um, if you are able to do that, I believe that's like a testament to um, your skills uh, as a performer. Um, if you're able to at least pique their interest. Who has been influential to you as far as your vocal delivery is concerned? So I'd say a massive influence on my vocal delivery has been my brother. Uh, My brother um, started rapping at 14 and I'm four years younger than him. And so I was there to like watch his development and how much work he put into his craft and like how, you know, originally he was like imitating his favorite rappers and then he developed his own style and like um, grew as an artist. Um, So seeing him and the way that like he uh, keeps it fresh and like varies his vocal delivery and um, tries to come up with something that's unique and that doesn't sound like anybody else out there um, has been a massive influence. also um, influenced by uh, Gil Scott Heron and the Watts Prophets um, heavily um, on the mixtape because like the mixtape like bleeds the line between like spoken word poetry and hip hop, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's like very much like spoken word over like hip hop instrumentals. Um, And so those are two big um, influences uh, along with um, Okod Bitek, uh, who's a Ugandan uh, writer um legendary um passed away um uh, but wrote uh these two seminal uh books called song for luna and song for a troll and songs for a woman too is actually like an ode to song for luna and song for a troll because a like 
according to Zacholi traditions, um, he wrote them as songs, but like a lot of the British publishers that he was working with, they were like, what do you mean? Like, 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 like when you say you're writing a song in a book form and he was like, this is like the tradition of my people. Uh, and then they were like, why don't you just call it a poem? And he's like, cause it's not a poem. It's a song, you know? And like, he very much like rejected um, the ways that the British were trying to label him. And that rejection uh, of labels, I feel like um, I, uh, what's it called? Um, is a major influence uh, on my work. Um, on top of that, um, influences in terms of vocal delivery, um, Sam Beam uh, from Iron and Wine um yeah yeah man massive massive influence because of how like he's like so tender um in his delivery and like I really really tried to capture that tenderness um on songs for women too um on some of the songs um as well as uh I'd say I mean I, I could list people for ages but I'll just say the last uh major influence on my vocal delivery is Mike Shinoda uh, from Lincoln Park um, and as, as well as his solo work. Um, yeah, he's been a massive, massive uh, influence. Uh, the Post Traumatic, which is a album that he wrote um, in the wake of Chester Bennington's passing, was one of my favorite albums. And um, I just love the way that he um, is able to like he's able to just channel so much uh grief in his voice which is what i was trying to do with if i die bury me next to my father um and i like really really look up to him uh in so many regards um mike replaced chester after chester died or were they always vocalists so they were always co-vocalists. And after Chester died, Linkin Park um, has never uh, released anything uh, because oh, okay. uh, they said that uh, like without Chester, um, they um, like um, can't um, like be a band anymore. But Mike released a solo project uh, called okay. Post Traumatic, uh, where um, he collaborated with, you know, uh, the, 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 the members of Linkin Park on it. Um, but um, it's his solo project and it's him basically um detailing um the grieving process of chester uh chester Lost. uh chester grew up in the phoenix area and i uh, i try to impress my students when they bring up lincoln park because my uh the person that drew one of my tattoos his name is tommy cannon he's a he's a local artist but he went to high school with chester and oh wow uh, small uh, world uh, according to him like chester was like this this big class clown and whatnot uh mm -hmm. and i believe a theater kid if i recall correctly but i definitely remember ah. the class clown part but i always thought that that was uh interesting because yeah what i know of like lincoln park is obviously just like really like you know intense and like a sort of hamming it up sort of way and i could mm -hmm. see like that sort of energy, like the class clown energy translating into something like a lot more serious and um, there being like a through line between it. So, yeah. Definitely, um, definitely. And also like a lot of like class clowns tend to like have a lot of darkness within them, you know? Oh, and, yeah. Like the comedy is like, you know, like a uh, like way to like manage that and like cope with it. Yeah. I mean, that's that is my direct experience as uh, somebody who still is sort of like I'm a teacher and I'm sort of a class clown and I'm like almost 40. So yeah, that's, that's my experience as far as like recording your stuff. Um, I'm, I'm assuming when you've recorded like your raps and whatnot, there's particular ways you want the vocals as far as like EQ, where it is in the mix, so on and so forth. Does mm -hmm. that uh, trickle down to like how you want your um, closer to spoken word stuff? uh recorded or is it different um so this uh it's different um are you speaking to songs for women two in particular or just my like uh recording like spoken word acapella stuff 
Um, either, I mean, I, I was thinking more so about um, your recent mixtape because I'm I'm the most familiar okay. with that. But like anything, yeah. really, I'm I'm curious. Okay, okay. So for my recent mixtape, the recording process was different from the way I recorded uh, my rap songs in the past. Um, because in my rap songs in the past, um, I would get an instrumental and because uh and i would write the instrumental inspired by whatever the instrumental like spoke to me right um however when i was recording songs for women 2 um i submitted some stuff to hello america a stereo cassette some acapella um like uh spoken word stuff and they really loved it and they offered me to do a full tape and i was like oh okay that's great um but i felt like doing a full tape only acapella wouldn't be um, engaging enough um, to uh, the audience. And so I was like, I'd like to add some uh, music to it. And so I hit up uh, Prince, who uh, produced uh, all of the album, except for the last song, with which my brother, um, um, like longtime collaborator and producer friend produced. And he produced it using AI, which I fully don't understand how that like happened. Uh, but like <laughs> he said, he used AI to help him produce it. Uh, I don't fully understand it, but it came out great. So um, I'm not complaining. Um, but the recording process for Songs from a 2 is very different because I had already had a lot of these poems that I'd been working on for years, right? Um, and the only original content that like was written for the actual tape was the Philomena's voicemails. Um, all of the other poems were already like um, poems that I'd written like because I've been working on these series of like platonic love songs because um, I feel like platonic intimacy um, is often played second fiddle to like romantic uh, when it's like can often be deeper um, and more important and so I really wanted to celebrate my friends through Songs for Men too, and um, the like platonic love that we share. And so I'd already written a bunch of poems. And so I was like, just trying to turn the poems into like spoken word songs. Right. And so I sent Prince spoken word acapella recordings of myself performing the poems. And I'm sorry, and that's, then that's spelled like obviously different than, you know, Prince Rogers Nelson. How, how is how is this Prince spelled? So his government name is actually Prince P-R-I-N-C-E. Uh-huh. But I mean, like, um, the, the perform. I, I remember that there was, like, a... Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so his stage name is P-R-N-Z. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I sent him uh, the uh, recordings of the acapella uh, spoken word stuff, and he would come up with the instrumentals to match whatever vibe I was conveying through the poem or the song. And like, this was a completely different recording process than anything I'd ever experienced. Cause like I was usually used to like writing to the instrumental, not having the instrumental written to my writing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so then he sent me back demos where he basically matched um, my acapella up with his instrumental, but he was like, this is rough demo. Um, like you need to like rehearse, um, like memorize and like work on like emoting um, and like uh, you can like add things, tweak things. Uh, so like we like added and tweak things like um, to like a couple of the songs to because um, like I was like, OK, like I should like, you know, like add a refrain here add an ad lib here, etc. Um, and so I spent a couple of weeks just like memorizing, 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 emoting and like trying to come up with like better versions of the songs. Um, and then I went in to record, um, he has a home studio and, uh, we knocked out, uh, the recording in one session. Um, I mean, we had to do a couple takes on some of the songs, but like, it took us like six hours to, um, record, um, the entire tape. Um, and, uh, he, I mean, he gave me the hot tip of, uh, drink a lot of hot water when you're recording, uh, cause it really helps relax the vocal cords. Um, but like I was able to like vary my delivery. Uh, he gave me some tips on like, you know, uh, softening the delivery on some of them where like I was like being too too aggressive, which like actually helped because like I was like, you know, like pushing back on some of his feedback. Uh, but then like um, I was like, OK, let, let, let's try it your way. Let's try it my way and see 
what sounds better. And like, honestly, a lot of the feedback that he gave me, like people have been telling me like, like those are some of, of their favorite songs, you know? And so like, I'm like, I'm glad I listened to his feedback because he's a producer at the end of the day. And like, that's, you know, his job to like, you know, direct. Um, and um, yeah, so the recording process is very, very different from my raps where I would like write to the instrumental and then I'd go in and I'd record and I'd do the ad libs and whatnot. Um, Cause for this one, um, it was like reversed because the instrumentals were written to the, to the songs um, a cappella. Um, and then we went in and we um, made some changes during the actual recording process. And then mixing and mastering took a couple months. And then my, my brother, we were, we were, we were waiting on his song for a couple months as well. Um, but um, he came through at the very last minute, which we were very grateful for. Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Cause like you've talked about, uh, you know, how you've, listen to like a lot of like audiobooks and whatnot and i'm curious if there's any particular way that like or even just like when you're listening to somebody performing spoken word or whatnot um if there's any particular way that you listen to it as a writer to like you know kind of like file away for later and the reason i ask this is because I've been wanting to figure out how to do that more with audiobooks because like with like, you know, looking at like a physical, you know, like looking at words on a page and whatnot, like, you know, sometimes I'll have to like reread things a few times and like kind of like figure out like a, the sentence structure and like why it moved up onto this next paragraph here or this line break or whatever. Um, does that question make sense? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, like in terms of like, um, like, things that I pick up from narrators of audiobooks um, that like help me with my craft. Yeah. Or, or, and, and, or like people performing, like, you know, like what you take from that and then put into like your own writing, I guess. Yeah, definitely. So like anytime I'm like at a like live performance or like watching somebody perform, like I'm studying them. Right. Um, And I'm studying them and I'm seeing like, what they're doing and uh, what is effective and what is not and what I can incorporate into like my own performance um, as well. Um, and so like, um, like whether that be music, whether that be poetry, whether that be an audiobook narrator, like with audiobooks, I tend to be very, very picky when it comes to the narrators because a lot of uh, narrators just don't do it for me. Yeah, uh, but I find that like when an audiobook is narrated by somebody who is either a like I listened to Jamie Foxx's uh audiobook um like last year. And mm-hmm. Jamie Foxx is like a talented, you know, like performer, like comedian, oh, yeah. actor, like singer. Um he's like, you know, like um incredible. Um, but he's also a very, very, very great, like, storyteller, right? And so, like, his audiobook was amazing because it was just so engaging um, in the stories that he was telling about his life. Because, like, it was, it's, it was like an autobiography from, like, you know, his childhood until, like, um, the time uh, that it was written, which was, like, 2019. Um, and so, like, f- for somebody like Jimmy Fox, who's been, like, practicing his artistry for like over 30 years, you know, like I can take a lot from that, you know? Um, And I can like take a lot from like how to like tell an engaging story, how to like um, keep the audience interested, how to um, like when it comes to like a physical performance, how to move my body in ways that like keeps the audience engaged, you know? when it comes to um, poetry, like how to perform it. Cause like, you know, like um, a lot of uh, slam poets tend to perform in like the same style of poetry. And I try my best to divert from that and try my best to keep things like engaging and interesting and like try my best to like vary my delivery uh, so that it doesn't like sound like it's the same thing over and over again. Um, And I feel like my body 
is involved a lot in that. Um, my um, vocals and like my flow and my range and um, like one of the biggest compliments that I got is from um, one of my friends, um, Andrew Shankman, shout out Andrew Shankman, because um, he said that like um, he's a musician and he said that the mixtape like had or like really, really varied um, vocal um, range and performance and emotions. And like it like took you like on a, on a journey, um, like uh, sonically, um, which is like what I set out to do. But like hearing that from like an incredibly accomplished musician themselves was like just like a huge uh, boon to me. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm always studying and I'm always looking for like ways to improve my craft because I mean, I'm a scientist at the end of the day and uh, like science is born on performance, feedback or vision. And mm -hmm. so I perform, I get feedback either from myself or from other people. Um, and then I revise that and I uh, um, incorporate whatever our, um, feedback that I got into the next performance. Um, it's interesting that you would bring up like a Jamie Foxx audiobook and how, like, I think just people in the performing arts, like how they would deliver audiobooks differently. I've listened to um, audiobooks done by professional wrestlers. Mm -hmm. And you can tell by listening to it that if I was just like reading it, that it would be like kind of unreadable <laughs> from like a literature perspective, but like, yeah. it, but it's interesting how much better it is because of their, like, as silly as it may sound like their past experience, like doing promos and be like this Sunday, I'm going to, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to ask you about is comic books. Mm -hmm. um, I know you're, I know you're really into comic books. Um, mm -hmm. Has that, inspired your writing or even your way of living in any particular way oh definitely definitely um um comic books like have been a love of mine since i was like a child my brother victor uh, who's on the album is the person who like really like introduced me to comics because like i used to like read you know like like um like uh dennis the menace and calvin and Hobbes and like uh, all, all the old classics but like my, my, my brother Victor is like who like really like introduced me like into like the world of comics and like like now I'm like a, a nerd and like obsessed and like I've read like thousands of comics and like have to have a collection of like you know like over like you know 2000 comics and like uh, it's only growing um, and comics definitely definitely influence uh, me um, in terms of my life and my storytelling um i read a lot of superhero comics um and the power fantasy is what um like really um influences me because like i'm disabled um i am not able to do a lot of things that i would like to do and so reading superhero comics and seeing um people be able to do all these fantastical things. It's like an escape of sorts, especially like when like I'm going through like a rough patch. Cause like those two years that I was bedridden and I read a lot of comics um, because they were a great escape. Um, and comics um, also influence my writing um, because like, as I said, I'm always like, studying and like even though I read for pleasure and like try to like you know like not like always be like having the critical part of my mind on when I'm reading at the same time I'm studying these people's writing and I'm studying like seeing like why is this effective why is this writer artist combination effective why um does this like make me feel a certain way um and I also create comics as well I had my first one published uh, in 2021 uh, with my collaborator, um, uh, the artist, uh, colorer, letterer, uh, and co-writer, uh, Paul Bourgeois. And we have more on the way uh, this year. Um, and being able to create comics has been a dream come true because I've been like, uh, I mean, I told you I was creating comics at a young age, you know? Uh, like, And um, comics 
they are a form of accessible literature, which really, really means the world to me. Because during a time when I was unable to read conventional books because of my health, I was always able to read comics because the pictures are what, you know, tell the story. And like, it's like, they're words, but like the words are minimal enough that like, it's like, it was accessible to me. Um, And so I'll always forever be grateful to comics for all the life lessons that they taught me. Um, And for like all the parallels that like they have with my life. Like one of my best friends calls me Batman. um, And like, I mean, I'm not a billionaire with, you know, both dead parents who's like out there beating, beating up people. But like, I can relate a lot to like the character and like the way he like secludes himself from the world in the Batcave when he's working, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, the way he like um, has a chosen family Um, and the way he uh, is just trying to help his city and his people. I, uh, I feel very similarly about Batman. I would go so far as to call Batman a special interest of mine. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I realized about myself recently is I think part of the appeal of Batman to me is that I fucking hate like bright light. Like I can't mm-hmm. stand going out on like sunny days, which mm-hmm. makes it tricky to live in Phoenix, Arizona. But mm-hmm. just um, so from like just like a stimuli perspective, just like looking at a Batman movie or comic or whatever, and how like, you know, obviously visually dark it is, is like relaxing to me in a way. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, because I have photophobia as well. Um, And like, I have the similar thing with with, with, uh, the, what's called bright lights. And that's one of the things that I love the most. Have you seen Batman the animated series? Oh, I I have the, uh, my, my partner a couple years back for our anniversary got me the whole collection on VHS. Oh, that's amazing. So one of, uh, I don't know if you, you you probably know this, but like they like uh, when they were um, animating that they drew it on black paper so that it could like create that like dark gothic feel. I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so that's why it's like so like dark because it was like animated on black paper, uh, which is amazing. And yeah, definitely uh, wholeheartedly agree with like like Batman and like the darkness that like he embodies it's comforting in a sense um like especially for people like me and you who like you know bright lights don't um do us well um and what's it called what was I gonna say um oh uh, I'd advise you to check out um if you don't already know it the Arkham Sessions um it's a podcast uh, where they um, l- watch every single episode of Batman the Animated Series and then talk about the psychology uh, behind every single episode. Because one oh of the God. co-hosts is a psychologist and then uh, her husband is the, is the other co-host who's just like a comic nerd. Um, and they talk about the psychology behind every single episode of Batman the Animated Series and then once they finished the Batman animated series, then they branched out and then they did every single um, movie in the MCU up till Avengers Endgame. And they did a season of Doom Patrol, which is another show that I'd highly recommend you check out if you don't already watch it because it's great. And right now they're doing the Star Wars universe, but they're a great podcast. Highly recommend. No, I'm going to I'm, I'm going to start that today. That that sounds that sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you have a favorite Batman film? Uh, favorite Batman film. Oof. Um, honestly, I'd have to go with The Dark Knight. Uh, yeah. Um, I it's really, amazing. really enjoyed. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed The Batman. Like that was like an amazing film. Like the Robert Pattinson one. Like that one was amazing, and I really, really, really loved that. But like The Dark Knight, like ah, uh, like I've, I've I've rewatched that uh, over and over and over again, and it just had so much to it like uh Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker was brilliant 
um I love that scene when like he was like uh in the car and then the car blew up and then it, it and then like it like transformed into the bat like motorcycle and ah uh, like uh, and all the gangs and like when he went to Hong Kong it's just uh and then and the game theory with like the votes it was just it, it, it's just yeah it, that's definitely my favorite uh but um the the Batman was really 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 good too oh and actually honestly tied with the dark knight would be uh mask of the phantasm oh i love mask of the phantasm yeah 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 and r.i.p kevin conroy yeah i feel like conroy was the only person who's like i feel like batman is such a hard character to like really like nail unless you're going Mm -hmm. for like the adam west like really like campy sort of like batman but because Mm -hmm. he's like so like stoic Versus like the Joker where you can play the Joker in like a million different ways mm-hmm. and it would still like make sense. But Batman is so like universally stoic. I feel like Keaton probably did the best of like the live action ones. Mm-hmm. I uh, I don't really have an opinion of Ben Affleck one way or another, but I do feel bad for him because I don't feel like he got like a fair shot as he, batman he definitely he definitely didn't yeah. he got like the and, and, shittiest batman like ever like the shittiest batman movie and then like he i know he was in justice league as well but yeah like i feel like he needed his own like film like pattinson got in order to like really really get a fair shot one way or the other he definitely did that action scene in batman versus superman though when like he's taken down all those like goons like that was epic i just remember all i remember of batman versus superman was just like that it was a lot of montages of them training. And then there was like the famous scene where it's just like, my, your mom's name is Martha. <laughs> yeah. Mine is too. Like, let's, <laughs> um, let's stop fighting. Yep. Please follow the creative curmudgeon on Instagram and feel free to tell everyone you meet about this podcast. Thank you so much to Mugabe Bianchia for speaking with me. And thank you, dear listener, for taking time out of your day to hear us speak to each other. Until next time, so long.